Please listen carefully. I got stuck on anal, so I'm sorry. What's up, sisters? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Everyone and Their Sister. My name is Christina. I'm Natasha. I'm Stephanie. Today, we are going to be talking all about problematic content. Now, if you have been with us for a long time, since we started back in like October of 2017, um, yeah, I I think it was 17. Oh, Lord. um, We did an episode back then on problematic content that we like and that like we still enjoy, but want to talk about a little bit more. I believe it's like our fourth episode. It's called Bad Feminist. Oh, yeah. It was a good one. Right? People liked it. Um, But obviously there's a lot more going on lately and there's just been more and more stuff coming up where I think we've all been grappling with like, what are we watching and how do we feel about it? And so there were a couple of things we wanted to talk about, but really this is also coming up because we just recorded our episode review on 365 Denis or Days and Steph had a great question that we are going to try to look at and talk about this episode. So my question was, can you like something that you know is problematic? And given that every week during the past six months, we're learning something awful about people that we, about content that we've liked in the past. And then it's a discovery where we're like, oh, this person is shit. I'm looking at you, JK Rowling. <laughs> so I mean, we've been new though. We knew about that one for a while. Yeah, it was, on, it was under the covers, but now she like fully went out with a statement and you're like, where's your publicist? How was no one t- maybe told you to think twice about what you just posted? But uh, she's bankrolling there. Doubling down on it. <laughs> Yeah, really cool. And I mean, that's one example. There's been a lot of things that are, you know, we we tried to pick a couple of examples to talk about that run the gamut of like, you know, incredibly, obviously, openly problematic, like at this point, maybe even questioning why would you support this at all, to things that maybe are a little bit more nuanced that have a little bit more questions involved. Um, One example Mm -hmm. that we've been struggling with a little bit lately has been about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There's been a lot of stuff in the news about how, or not in the news, but from online articles and things like that about how Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a form of police propaganda that is almost even more insidious than the more obvious ones like Law and Order or NCIS. Um, Partly even because those Law and Order and NCIS, those are all geared towards a much older audience. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is very like kid-friendly, very family-friendly, and it portrays police in a way that is very different than the way that NCIS and CSI do. And because it's so diverse and because it tackles topics in such an interesting and in like usually pretty good way, how do you grapple the good that Brooklyn Nine-Nine does with the bad that it also does as being a form of like police propaganda? And there isn't necessarily a right or a good answer for that. Like, I think we all still love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We'll all still keep watching it, but definitely with more interest. And what I really appreciate about Brooklyn Nine-Nine and why we probably won't talk about that one too much in this episode is that they ended up coming out and saying like, you uh, being fairly appreciative of like all this feedback that they're getting and everything that's going on lately and scrapped all of their plans for the next season. And decided to entirely rewrite them and entirely rethink the direction they're going in. And I think with another show, I'd be like, I'm still cautious. Like, it's definitely, it's still going to be about police. It's still not going to be perfect. But I do think this show has earned a lot of goodwill in other things that it's done really well. To warrant, like, a let's see what happens and let's see what they do. Because maybe they will find a way to tackle this. I do think, like, speaking of, like, how they've scrapped everything and all that kind of relates to this topic that I've been seeing a lot. Um, I guess to, like, sum- somewhat paraphrase this one author. John Fram, author of the 
Brightlands. He said in like an op-ed in the New York Times that um, basically a lot of people are shocked by what they see in media about police and all of that. But he's like, let's look at the nature of that shock. Why is that shock genuine? Why are white people so confused about how police are being portrayed in the media? And it's because if you think about all the content that they consume, there's a responsibility for the creators that are creating that content, including like TV show writers, authors that are writing like detective novels and stuff like that. There's a responsibility in crime fiction that you have to bear that responsibility of writing it responsibly. And like it's, there's there's ways that they portray them and it's almost like glazed over as okay. Like for example, what's the most common trope in a police drama? They only ever solve the case after they've been suspended. Now think about that. <laughs> like what does that say about police in real life like you expect them to be able to solve it outside of the law and that is wrong inherently right romance books particularly cop are a big uh yeah and like i don't think you can publish a book that romance romanticizes that kind of person yeah. right now yeah, without without acknowledging what's going on and i don't know if people would want to do that like i don't know would you want to read about a cop right now exactly and it's one thing that was super interesting that too for me particularly as being a huge fan of tv shows and like i'll watch a lot of crime dramas if for no other reason than it's the easiest thing that i know i can watch with my mom like there is something about a crime drama that like implicitly tells you like this is going to be just safe enough for work you can watch it with a parent it's not going to be uncomfortable uh they're likely to be just as interested like they're likely to be just as interested and engaged as you are and like it's probably not going to have long overarching storylines where you're going to have to explain to them every five minutes what's going on so i've watched a lot of cops in my life because it's like really easy to turn them on uh, and watch them with my mom but one thing that's always bothered me about cop shows so much is the way that they treat the concept of internal affairs bureau oh, yeah. and it wasn't until a couple of years ago that i realized what was really going on like it always confused me because i was like they exist for a reason like i get that you're all cops so you hate them but what a terrible way to portray yourself and to portray police officers but i always just thought that like that was writers making that choice and then over a couple years ago finding out after a British show called The Blue Line or something like that was created that a lot of times the reason this is happening is because TV shows need to often hire police officers out, um, not just as consultants, but as like security on set. And so if you make police officers mad, it can actually hurt the production of your television show. And police officers and consultants have like this very specific things that need to be portrayed. And one of the main ones is the concept of like the international, the internal affairs bureau being like not good. And like even the small amount of accountability that barely exists because there are lots of issues with internal affairs starting with the fact that they're all cops themselves just that level of it like you're not allowed to portray them in a good light whatsoever and even shows that i love like elementary feeds into that heavily where like the only people that can find cops that are bad because they will occasionally show you a bad cop for the sake of like cinematics but it's like it's their cops that figure it out because they're actually the good cop it's them it's the main character always gonna be olivia benson and yeah it's like this weird like it's reinforcing that whole thing about brotherhood within like cop culture <laughs> for, for lack of a better word but it's like this like weird brotherhood thing and anything outside of that you are basically like if you're not part of what like their circle or whatever you're basically risking your life because they will not like they will not back you and which is like such a dangerous concept like it's so da- like I mean and I don't think obviously in fiction they don't put that at all like what happens if you do 
if you are trying to be more like if you're trying to hold somebody accountable what happens to those people they don't really talk about that at all which is insane because like when you think about all the times and like situations in real life what's happened it's it's so it's so it's not just scary it's weird that it like goes untalked about to me like it's like you would never hear of it unless like you specifically were looking for it even like even uh, talking about media in particular this british show which again i wish i could remember the name of now but Broadchurch? no because Broadchurch they are not part of internal affairs they are fully cops oh, okay it's called i i want to say it's called the blue line I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called the concept is they are they are the internal affairs bureau and each season is dedicated to them looking at other cops that are like openly flouting the law and you see in particular i'm sorry it's called line of duty so line of duty um and you see in particular all the many ways where they are constantly up against the wall of like trying to investigate other cops and and the response cops have to them is bad but then also this show is still problematic because they're still cops so it's still the idea of like there are some good ones you know but it's it i only found this out because i i was interested in that show i had watched it and i was looking it up and that's when i found out people were like more things you were talking about like why cops are portrayed the way they are how tv productions are reliant on cops how you can have you know you can get union strikes or boycotts against you if you portray cops in a negative way in your content so while the implicit bias of the writers and the directors and the people making that show are also obvious there's also like literally an industry built around not being able to show cops in a negative way so that was all like super Mm -hmm. fascinating and it's all the stuff that i've been thinking about with knowing that like i'm probably gonna put away all cop content (laughs) um except for maybe some true crime stuff because there's a lot of value in like true crime documentaries Often they prove that cops are not very effective. Like Another shout out mystery to unsolved <laughs> mysteries. Um, so that that probably not. Um, and not necessarily Brooklyn Nine Nine, but like I don't know that I can watch another year of even SBU knowing yeah. knowing everything. And like I hadn't even caught up. Like I was on like what season fifteen of SBU, and I was like Jesus. I'm gonna catch up. And now I'm just like no, nope, there's no point because like I cannot, I cannot do it anymore. Especially because like like and I I know I'm a huge fan of like the actor that plays Elliot Stabler. But they glorified his, like, his, all his problematic parts of him. Like, he was angry all the time. He was violent, even. And they never resolved any, there was a point where he should have been fired and he was not. In fact, everybody came and defended him. And I was like, why? I remember how they were about to make a spinoff of this. Yeah, that was. We were yelling about this not that long ago because you were like, I'm going to watch it. (laughs) Because I was like, oh, I love him. I like him, but Elliot Stabler cannot, needs, it needs to stop being glorified right now. Yeah. Olivia yeah. Benson is right there. Give her even more love than she already gets. That's true. And you know what? The actress is great outside of SVU as well. She does a lot of work with- Marishka uh, Hargitay? Yeah, she does a lot of work with like victims and like foundations like yeah. that. But also one thing I thought of too, if you said you're on 15, I think you're like 10 seasons behind. It's on 22 <laughs> now, so I'm only like six seasons behind. Oh Lord. <laughs> that's not that, that's not that far. That's not that far off. <laughs> she must be making that bank right now. I mean, we'll see. She's been around year. for that. I'm feeling there's going to be a shift in these kind of shows. It's going to move from firefighter, police officer, detective, and then it's going to shift into doctors and uh, uh, paramedics. That's my guess. Ooh, paramedics. I actually agree. 
I actually think we were headed in that direction anyway because mm-hmm. we've definitely like the the hospital dramas have gone down and have been away for so long and the last couple of years it's just been so much cop like even when we were talking about dark we were talking about how like that moody small town child murder we're already getting bored of it and that's a pretty recent phenomenon of type mm-hmm. of show and like we're already done so like for sure it's definitely cop stuff I can see transitioning into true crime naturally based on trends now yeah and and then i the hospital thing is interesting and you're right with everything going on it makes sense that there might be a lot more uh doctor and nurse and emt stuff like that's gonna be a thing and then or it's gonna transition into full-time dystopia tv shows so that was our (laughs) to spend enough time on that that was our sort of view on like all the cop dramas that are going on and that's just really an intro into the rest of this episode Mm -hmm. um because i think this one is like not necessarily a slam dunk but like what's been going on has been very obvious there are people who are much smarter than us that have been talking about it as there are on literally everything we're going to talk about today <laughs> and that we talk about in every single one of our episodes but we wanted to talk about a couple of different big sort of problematic things that have either been coming up content that people are watching and talk about the content itself and the issues with it also the fans and the way that they engage with it and coming around to our sort of thoughts on the question can you truly enjoy a problematic content? We are, and I I'll, actually, I'll preface our YouTube segment that we're going to start off with in a second with this. I would not have had anything to say about this conversation literally two weeks ago, but Steph shared a random video from the YouTuber Smokey Glow with me, and I have been down a rabbit hole of YouTube drama. I feel like I caught up on everything on YouTube that I had not seen, at least on like the beauty and drama commentary sides of YouTube that I had not seen in the last five years because I follow like two people on YouTube. Um, and now I'm stuck in it. I'm in it. And I have lots of thoughts and opinions on everything we're about in to In it to win about. it. <laughs> I, okay. I guess to start off, in the past like five years, a lot of people have been canceled and I'm putting canceled in quotes based on problematic tweets people have found, based on shitty videos people have found, but no one's actually ever been fully canceled. No. For example, last year, Tati, glam life, glam life Guru on YouTube, posted a video directed at James Charles saying what, he, basically she said that he was a predator for younger men. That's it. She took down the video, but we later learned that YouTube told her to take down the video and James Charles was canceled again quote and then James Charles oh he lost a ton a ton a ton a ton of subscribers we were like live watching his subscriber count like millions and millions of and Tati's was obviously going up and she like probably hit Mm -hmm. like nine million and then later we find out this year in was it July or June I'm gonna say June she puts out basically another video talking about why she posted that video initially and what it comes down to is that she was manipulated by Jeffree Star and Shane Dawson to put out this video about James Charles. And James Charles is very popular. He's like 18, 19. He's a beauty guru, a male beauty guru. He's a cover girl model. And basically you find out that Jeffree Star is threatened by him and his success. And I'm going to say poison, but that's very dramatic. Poison mm-hmm. Shane Dawson and Tati, Tati about him telling them lies about him saying that he was uh, sexually assaulting or the insinuation was that he was sexually sexually assaulting young boys and like being very conceited and like taking on these sponsorships that are directly negative to his friends which is Tati because she has a vitamin company and Shane Dawson and Jeffree Star made her do that and now that they're friends again the, all this shit has come out about Shane Dawson and Jeffree Star at the same time so it was just like Tati was like the cherry on top of all this other shit that was percolating on the bottom jeffree star has been known to be racist he says some sketchy shit shane dawson is basically 
a pedophile or something? I'm not too sure. Maybe Christina knows more. There's um, a lot of things where, and I think this was a very popular, like, comedy thing that was going on in the early 2000s for some reason. However, it doesn't, like, excuse it. It was still wild, and it was still really gross and, like, un- well, just like that inappropriate but he has like a lot of these very popular youtube stars even when they're in their 30s now he has a very very young young fan base and at the time he would have been in his 20s and he was making all these really inappropriate jokes about young kids in particular like the most famous one is that he was in the beginning of one of his videos he was basically pretending to masturbate to a picture of willow smith who at the Mm -hmm. time was 11 where it's like this is why like of course you have these accusations against you like look at what you chose to do um he would also and this is something that a lot of youtubers are doing um with his very young fan base he would like encourage them to post pictures of like grinding and like themselves in like very like oddly sexual situations Mm -hmm. So, like, it is very, like, it is very pedophilic and, like, why are you doing this? Exploiting the fans is, like, the key to all of this. They want to, basically, they want to be his friend, right? Or want to be talking to him, so they'll do anything for him. Was he also the one that did blackface? Yes. Yes. With the character named (laughs) Oh, no. So yeah. that came out. He did apo- he apologized for that before this Tati video come out, came out. I mean, I uh, I'm, again, the, not, my quotes are being apology. brought up again. Uh, apologize, saying one of the reasons like I was sexually abused, like basically not taking any accountability for what he was doing. And then the video comes out with Tati, and then he films himself live listening to the video and be like, "She's a fucking liar. She's a manipulator." What? On a two, basically on a two minute like live stream on Instagram Live, which what were you thinking? Number one, basically to discredit her, but then and then weirdly enough, he's more upset about this Tati video than he is about his allegations, which says a lot. Which <laughs> says a lot. And then Jeffrey Star has been silent this whole time. I mean, which is me- ironic because I did watch um, D'Angelo Wallace's video on the Jeffrey mm-hmm. Star drama, and he's like. Jeffree Star just like flip-flops back and forth one second he says one thing and then the next second he says the other thing and I'm just like I'm really surprised that he's so quiet right now like it's well he he has all the dirt on people apparently Tati said he's like I'm scared she got all these security guards for her she's scared about him because she he has all the dirt on not only cosmetic companies but the people in the influencer community so you'll do anything that's the question people are saying that he like manipulates manipulates people into saying these problematic sh- things or admitting these things well he's probably recorded them so it would seem real because he's that kind of guy i think it go a couple ways like i'm willing to bet he doesn't have the amount of information that he says he has but based on literally everyone's accounts particularly a couple of smaller like youtubers that are talking about it he goes out of his way to like have these text conversations to get them to say problematic things and let's be clear why'd you say it? Like, why did you let a grown man go to you into using the N-word? Like, that doesn't clear you up. It just yeah. means you're both terrible. He's And he's, like, basically killed people's careers on YouTube before. And I say killed, but, like, they still exist, but maybe not as popular as they could have been. It was, like, Manny MUA ugh, and the other girl whose name I can't remember right now. I want, I almost said Nikki Tutorials, but I, I am, all this information is new to me. I don't know everyone yet. I'm still learning. <laughs> One reason I do think that he's really silent right now my opinion is that the last couple of years and because a lot of as much as all this is about jeffree star it's also just as much about shane dawson it's not as much about tati but it also needs to be about her too with shane dawson so all this stuff is coming up about him but he and i 
truly did not know any of this. I was saying this earlier. I just didn't know who Shane Dawson was. And I've never felt older in my life. But I am happy to say that I did not know him. But I'm also like, I can't believe I've just learned all this information now. But he basically went from being a really bad, offensive, sketch comedy YouTube channel to being this like faux documentary style Mm -hmm. channel where he like literally picked the most problematic offensive openly racist youtubers and used his platform to basically give them pr and to rehabilitate that image and he does that with tana mojo uh with jake paul and with jeffree star and he also he also did it with a graveyard girl because she was like losing followers and he was trying to like pump her up so he's done a lot of i don't know I don't even know who that is. I'm exactly. still learning. She was big when I first dipped in, like, 2013, 2014. Jake Paul? So, yeah, the Jake Paul one was a big one. And I think I may have vaguely heard of something about this when it was happening. But, and I think the Jake Paul probably doesn't need to be explained too much. But basically, he did some, like, inside the mind of Jake Paul. He tried to make it seem like he was going to be talking about how Jake Paul was actually a psychopath. But it ended up just being a, yeah, it ended up just being a Jake Paul commercial that really helped his career because Jake Paul was also in the process of, again in quotes, being canceled. But this boost of like, all you have to do is show someone's side of the story for everyone to suddenly be on on their side. Because it's, and it's easy to say like, it's because these people, their audience is children. So these children are just reacting to the information that they have now and taking everything at face value. So when Tati says, James Charles is a predator, they're like, yes, he is. He's canceled. We're going to unsubscribe. When James Charles comes back a week later and says, listen, this is not true. With the receipts proving that he's innocent. And what what really pisses me off about that specifically is that like she said that Jeffree Star told her to say it and Shane Donson or whatever. First of all, was there a gun to her head? No. Second of all, it it actually benefited her directly so she can't be blameless in that because like it but she's coming out and saying that it didn't benefit her she's like i lost sales my company is failing because of this and she's gonna basically she's gonna sue them because of this video she put up but i'm like where is the accountability that you put this video out i thought your friend you could have sent the video to james charles had him watch it and then like done anything else but you still you a grown-ass woman put it out and I, I will say, interview accountability, I do think that like short term this benefited her. I do think long term it didn't. In what I've been reading, it sounds like prior to this, Tati Westbrook was like a very big name in the community as like very she reputable. Yeah. And like, I think the reason everybody believed this when it happened, not just because it was children, not just because it was um, like something that was easy for people to believe once they heard it, uh, because of like their own prejudices and biases, but also because it was coming from somebody who up until then had a reputation of being of like b- being untouchable in terms of like excellence. And there's a lot of very interesting, almost conspiracy style theories that like that is specifically why Shane Dawson and Jeffree Star went to her was because she would be believed immediately. Yeah. And so in the long run, this has definitely hurt her. However, does not do herself any favors by not taking accountability. Does not do herself any favors of like, if you genuinely, truly believed that these things were true, that what they were saying about James Charles and that he was a predator and that he was, you know, going after I, well, I like just younger clarify, straight guys. She never said he was a predator. She had, James Charles said she was, he was a predator. She never said, explicitly said that in her video. James, uh, Jeffrey Star. Jeffrey Star did, yeah, that's right. Jeffrey yeah. Star did it right afterwards. Yeah. But if you're gonna, she's making all these suggestions about James Charles and like just showing the receipts of like this waiter said that he did this and this person said she he did had, this. Like, she she had no like visual proof. Yeah, yeah. Compared and to because there weren't any. 
And yeah, even when that funny. waiter came out and he was like, I was forced to like out myself and blah, 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 blah. It was very, I think what really bothered me about that was that she was talking about, first of all, she was talking about a gay person in this weird negative light and yeah. like villainizing him. And like, she didn't make it sound like it was because he was gay, but part of it, like the way she talked about how her husband reacted, I was like, it's because he's gay. <laughs> Like, there are biases in everything that's being said. I mean, there's biases in the fact that she became friends with Jeffree Star in the first place because, as a YouTube video that I was watching earlier was talking about from the YouTuber Amanda BB, so Amanda then the two letters B, was saying basically, like, she said that she became friends with Jeffree Star knowing he had this really bad history, mm-hmm. knowing that he could be openly, like, racist because that was very well known at that point, but also, like, knowing that what he was doing to other people was wrong, but felt like, oh, maybe I can change him tati but again that too are you talking yeah about that that's what tati yeah that's what tati yeah, t- said and that's what amanda was basically giving that history in her video okay. um saying that's what tati said and it's that question again of like as a white woman like it's not why are you forgiving this white man for what he did and becoming his friend like you can't change him you're just excusing the things that he's done and it's not just a mutually do, beneficial relationship. Like, it's not to say he didn't do problematic things when you, they were friends. He did, but she chose to ignore it because she's like, I'm going to help him become a better person. But like, is yeah. that your place? I don't think so. So it is also convenient that like, this is the thing where she's like, I have to speak up about James Charles. But at the end of the day, I think that Tati is one small piece that needs to take accountability for herself mm-hmm. in the larger Jeffree Star, Shane Dawson thing. We should also talk about, so when Shane Dawson put out this documentary... In collaboration with Jeffree Star's makeup company, they put out a palette together. And can you guess how well that palette did? It did incredibly well. So not not only does he shit on, so later Shane Dawson shits on the beauty community saying it's like toxic wasteland. When you learn out he was actually the reason why it's probably more toxic than it should have been, but he was making money off of this community. And the fact that people are starting to be like, "Mm, maybe you're pretty shit. That's when he has a problem with it. And it was really interesting because, so he he does two documentaries of Jeffree Star. He does the first one, which is the attempt to read, like specifically, that is like the beginning of their relationship or their friendship, whatever you want to call it, where it's to rehabilitate Jeffree Star because this is around the, I think it's around the first round that a lot of his old racist comments really start coming up. And there's a lot of great YouTubers that have given a rundown of this. D'Angelo Wallace is just a great one. Uh, The Jeffree Star is a fake video was really excellent at giving a rundown of like the things he was saying about how they were old was untrue he was like i said that 12 years ago and it turned out it was like eight and it's like if you can't even admit how long ago it was then you definitely aren't sorry for what you're talking about but this was the first insurgent of more people just being aware of the negative thing or the problematic racist things that jeffrey star said in the past so he has his pr movie with uh shane dawson and it does incredibly incredibly well and it sets off what is clearly a very public friendship between the two of them because they can both make money off of this situation and that's when they go in and a little while later they do the beautiful world of jeffree star where it's literally just a commercial for their palette like that's all this is this is a commercial to sell makeup and they pretended that it was going to be like they were like oh we'll we'll show you how we make the palette but the trailer and all the information about this documentary which i hesitate to call it it is an infomercial is actually going to be about the drama with Tati and James Charles, but from the point of view of uh, Jeffree Star. And so everybody started watching it. 
And it's just not that. It's supposed to have nine mm-hmm. episodes. It has five. As of the fifth episode, okay, the fifth episode launches on the same day that the palette conspiracy launches. Launches is so, uh, conspiracy is sold out in like 10 minutes, according to them. There's a lot of like false, numbers. the idea that like there's a lot of false numbers and the idea that uh, I can't remember the name for it, but it's like manufactured scarcity of like, it probably wasn't actually sold out. But the idea that they're putting in, and clearly lots of people were purchasing it immediately. There's supposed to be the sixth installment. The sixth installment never comes because the infomercial has done exactly what it was supposed to do. It got everybody to buy Conspiracy. And when people were like, why aren't you finishing this? Shane Dawson starts saying like, oh, you know, we never said that it was going to be nine videos, even though they're, it's seven or nine, I can't remember. But even though there's like a video of Jeffree Star being like, it's going to be a nine part series. Um, and like highlighting that and nobody ever said it was going to be about the drama and they're like your trailer shows that it's going to be about the drama and then he tries to say it's because he edits all his videos himself and he's very overwhelmed and he needs lots and lots of time and people are like you have millions of dollars you committed to this process you filmed this infomercial so long ago like why can't you get this done and even his fans were reaching out to be like oh my god should you get like an editor like we're genuinely concerned that you're burning out because you just lied to a bunch of like 14 year old girls who like actually want think that you should be okay and then he starts getting mad at people he starts blocking them and eventually he puts up a six minute finale to the entire infomercial series that is just nothing it's a nothing installment i have not watched it i refuse to give this thing views but this is all information from Smoky Glow, from D'Angelo Wallace, from Amanda BB, and like their rundowns Angelica of what's going on. For me. Angelica? Angelica. So those are just, that's also, by the way, all that information is just to give you the rundown of what's going on. Oh, this, the, the whole reason that we started talking about this too. The reason I think that Jeffree Star is being silent is because he spent the last six, however many years, probably not six years, a lot shorter than that, he spent the last time creating a public relationship with Shane Dawson where they are intrinsically tied together and he's already started to pull back from that relationship he hasn't commented about he hasn't bragged him up he hasn't said anything he's been silent I think he did didn't he no he didn't say anything about Shane oh I could have sworn that he had but I, I do think that it's specifically about he's waiting to see where the chips fall yeah because it is very possible people have short memories we know this it's something that's been going on a lot people treat these things like trend we all know that cancel culture doesn't end in anyone being canceled it just ends in them taking a quick break from their social media channel for a week and them coming back to make a horrible apology video and white people clapping for them oh my god thank you for being so brave and for talking up about this and then they're back to normal like nothing ever happens so far, Jeffree Star has been dropped by Morphe, which was the retailer that uh, carried his makeup line. Shane Dawson's videos have been demonetized, but I, it's like I said in the past, no one's ever been officially been canceled. And mm-hmm. I don't know how short people's memories are because the only way to stop someone is to stop watching them. And I don't think, like given how much we know, I don't think the general public who watches YouTube videos is going to be so into the drama like we are. So I was going to say, but this comes back to like the overarching question of this episode. Can you enjoy content that's problematic? When these people who watch these these YouTubers regularly already know all this drama, because I'm assuming they know about people Mm -hmm. that they actually watch. 
how, I guess not how can they enjoy it, but do they not have a more critical eye when they're watching it now? Or they're watching it and they're giving him his views, but they're critically thinking about what he's saying and then they're going on Reddit. Or are they part of, yeah, or like, are they part of this fan culture where they're supporting somebody that is so problematic to the point where they're going back on probably what is their own ethics and morals just to support this one person? And like, what, like, what, where's that loyalty coming from? What has that man done Um, for you? Nothing. You've just given him your money. Yes. And I think that's so important for like this YouTube piece that we're talking about because yes there are teams behind some of these people because they're so large but this isn't a show you know this isn't a team of people this is not a series of actors and a problematic director this is one person when you support the jeffree star youtube channel you are directly supporting jeffree star like you are there for him i mean so if you watch those videos where he's flaunting his lifestyle but your money paid for that lifestyle so how can you you know when it comes to something like this something like youtube and social media how can you continue to essentially stand a person who is this problematic who oh they apologized no they didn't and it was it's one thing if it's just young people i almost don't believe it's even the child audience that is causing this problem because a lot of gen z in the next generation seems to be pretty critical and seems to have Mm -hmm. a critical eye i do think that like while they've grown up with YouTube in their lives daily, there is a really huge chunk of that audience that because they have, view it in a more cynical way than the adults do. Because I think this is a situation almost like my mother, where like, if you read it, it's true. Mm-hmm. You believe it. So when Jeffree Star, you know, even though my mother's not a fan, but when other people, other women in her age range sit down and watch a Jeffree Star video and he talks about how, you know, he's sorry, but it's just that they said homophobic things to me. So I felt like I had to say racist things back, but I don't have racism in my heart. They, they just hear it and they believe it. And then when other people say like, no, it's, that wasn't okay. That wasn't an apology that they don't believe that they refuse to consider that just doesn't exist. It, so it's I, weird to me that they'd implicitly believe somebody who has done the offending rather than the person that has been offended. Yeah. Like that to me is like unsupportive of, it's not like it's unsupportive of everyone. It's more like you are not creating a safe space for everyone. And that is the biggest problem to me in what you support. And isn't this a core issue with almost all media and even in real life? Why are people always so willing to believe the person who's done the wrong thing Mm -hmm. um, over the person who's like, no, but I'm hurt. Like I'm offended what you did hurt me or it had real specific negative consequences on my life. For a short time, people thought that James Charles genuinely was a predator after Jeffree Star went out and said that after Tati's video. And he was like 18, 19. Yeah, this is a 40-year-old man and a grown adult woman that did that to a 19-year-old. Who is like, and it could have been, like, she could have sat him down and talked to him about it and be like, this is what this guy has told me. Who's my supposed friend? Like, my friend James, this is what I've heard about you. But she never, like, there's so many people in her life that could have been like, why are you posting this? And like, I don't, I kind of don't believe that she got blindsided or like got totally manipulated by Shane Dawson to post, post this video. But I think there's a mix of things. So much that they'll be like, they believe anything. And like, I, out of all the people that I've watched over the years, I always liked her videos the most because she was the most, what's the word? Not, she was genuine, but like when she talked about a product she liked, I don't, I didn't feel like she was getting paid to say that compared to other people at the same level that she was. But again, now I can't believe anything she says because 
again, I think she did hurt her career. I, I do think when it comes to these YouTube celebrities and anybody who's considered like an influencer, or even just a general celebrity, we should take everything that they say with a grain of salt, no matter to which the mm-hmm. seeming genuineness they say it with. Because one, a lot of them are terrible at saying that they're being sponsored. So we don't actually know sometimes, even though technically legally they're supposed to. That's another... Um, yeah. But they're essentially acting, right? Like they're acting like a person who is in this YouTube video or is in this Instagram ad. Like that will never be who they truly are. It's the version of them that they put online. So there always has to be this mm-hmm. element of like untrustworthiness. But I just feel like that doesn't exist for some of these like massive stands of these people where they take everything they say at face value even when it goes back to like the Tati and Jeffrey thing I agree that I don't think she was some like poor poor woman just like wanted to do what was the best wanted to let the world know that James mm-hmm. Charles might be a danger like I don't buy any of that but I do think she was manipulated in the sense that she believed that there were things that existed to prove what she was about to say and that Jeffrey Starr and even Shane Dawson were going to follow up with said proof and when they didn't she was left flapping in the wind being like so basically I've just lied to everybody but it's also and like you're not backing me up at all because it's not even like he said he didn't have receipts Jeffree Star then says oh no I have all the receipts but I'm choosing to be above all of this drama and I won't be posting anything but then like what that says is like she decided to insert herself in something where she mm-hmm. arguably does not belong. Yeah. And so it's like, why did you feel the need to speak up? Why was this yours? Her reasoning. Her reasoning was that she was a sexual assault victim and she wanted to help other people. But the proof that she had wasn't enough to go to the authorities on it. So she was going to do it in the hopes that other people would speak out about their problems. But again, that's not your place to say that. You could have done this so many other ways. Yeah. And also the fact that she would say something like that is also assuming that a victim of sexual assault wanted her to speak on it. Where that is so intrusive and so problematic to its very core. Like as a victim, she should know. And that's even worse. That makes us 10 times worse. Interesting piece of information that you don't have is that basically even now, Jeffree Star says that he has a voice memo, which every time people bring it up, I'm always like, oh, yeah, this I is think the I most no nonsense I've ever heard in my life. But that's his like proof. It's the victim um, talking oh, and, about it. And Tati's like, I, there wasn't enough for me to call the authorities on it or like so like what was it like so what was he talking about and there was like another youtuber that was like oh i believed him because i heard the voice memo as well and it's yes legit yeah i remember hearing this but this was another situation where it was like you know explicitly the reason that you can't do anything with that voice memo is because the person on it has told you they don't want that happening so why are you bringing any of this up why are you handling any of this in such a public way that puts that person at risk if you genuinely believe this is a problem. But I do still think all this comes back to the Jeffree Star and the Shane Dawson thing. And like what you can already kind of see happening is that Shane Dawson might go away. Shane Dawson will probably never have the platform he once had because of his own alienation of his fan base. And the fact that he's kind of, I'm not going to say he's getting irrelevant, but it seems to me like from what I'm seeing is that these were things that these people were already doing because they don't have they might have the audience size but they don't have the engagement they should for that size 
So this was a way to like kickstart everything. I see Shane Dawson coming back. He's going to come back. He's going to make videos again. It's going to look different. He's going to have a smaller size, but he's not going to get canceled. He's still going to have a massive platform. But somehow already you can feel like Jeffree Star is just going to skate right by this whole drama. Oh yeah, for sure. And come out the other side. Like honestly, if he's the only done it before. He uses is his Morphe palette. There's already people talking about how the Jeffree Star Morphe palette is not actually selling as well as the other stuff is. There's the possibility that he's actually invested in them anyway. So even if they're not selling his products, he could still be making money off of them in some shape or form. Otherwise, there's lots and lots of stuff about that. So it really looks like I, I enjoyed the Morphe news quite a bit, even though Morphe is also terrible from what it yeah. sounds like. Mm hmm. I enjoyed the Correct. news because it was like a public thing, but it, it's, you need his fans. It's this fan culture around these people and around these things that is causing this massive problem of like, why aren't you believing black people when they tell you that this person did not give a, an apology? Because realistically, it's not even as white people, it's not even us to accept an apology on behalf of anyone else. We can sit there, we can choose to believe if it's genuine or not, but we really need to be looking at Black people and Black creators for their thoughts and how do they want to approach this person and what are they going to do with him? Because that's who's hurt. That's who those people's actions directly hurt. And for so long, for so many of these fans, because they're white and because they're not all children, these are white adults as well, just sidestepping every single thing he's done wrong, not listening to um, Jackie Ina, not listening to any other Black YouTuber that has called this out in the past. And then now, every, like, even the fact that now everybody's, like, acting surprised about these Shane Dawson stuff, they're like, oh, I didn't know about this. But you were people that were aware of Shane Dawson. You followed him. You talked to him. You knew about him. You could have actually found this information out really easily. And surely at some point in time, you've been aware that other Black creators have called him out for this. So for the sure. fact that you're surprised, it's like, well, why weren't you listening to Black people before? And so the creators and the fans also, even the ones that are only now just us outraged, it's like, why did it take you this long to get here? If you're not outraged, why are you still defending this person? Like, they have millions of dollars. They Your literally dollars. do not care about you. Your dollars. You've paid for this man to go around acting racist. And one of the only things no left that you have to, with no consequences, and one of the only things left that you have to consider is like, Your and dollars. I think this is very valid for the fan, is that if you acknowledge that what Jeffrey Starr does and what Shane Dawson does um, is racist, then you have to acknowledge the parts of you and the people in your life that are also racist. And you right. have to acknowledge that when some, if something ever come, finds out about you, and if you're ever called out for your racism for the first time in your life, just saying, I'm sorry I offended you is not going to be a, enough to cut it. Mm -hmm. So like at a certain point, it's everybody's fault, but you also need fans to like also, stop this nonsense. Let's talk about apology videos. <laughs> just a, oh, a man. brief little thing because I fucking hate them. Much like every yeah, apology, the worst thing you can ever say or apologize for is how somebody is feeling. I think that I've established this before. I hate that comment because it implies that what they're feeling is the problem and not you. And so when people put out this apology where they're like, I'm sorry you took it that way. I'm sorry that this is how, that was not my intention. I'm sorry that this happened. Like I, like even, I believe even Jenna Marbles does this in her video, which as much as like I do respect her for being like, I'm just gonna leave YouTube. And I'm like, that's great. Just don't come back. That's fine. <laughs> like, 
it's fine but it's just like the way she worded things it was still problematic to me and I was like and that's where I'm just like they don't see even in their apologies how they're not truly apologizing the way that it should be done like when you're when you mean it you you literally and and like I mean like Jenna Marbles she does like bring up everything that she's done wrong and that's great that's super direct but there's still this sense of like oh this was not my intention and that doesn't matter forget your intention mm-hmm. none of how you were perceived yes this acknowledge how, that yeah and like and I get like there's this whole thing about like oh I'm not responsible for people's feelings you are <laughs> when you're speaking of people when you're acting like a certain type of person when you generalize about people or like anything like that if you don't not think that would affect somebody that to me like again that's where you internally have to look at yourself and be like why do I think like that your sole purpose as a creator is to make someone feel something exactly or bad that's your responsibility so you can't say I'm sorry you made I made you feel the way that is your job and this is where like the responsibility as a creator comes back in where like you're creating things it's not in a silo nobody's not gonna see this people are gonna see it even if it's like a few people versus millions of people you know it's gonna be out there in the public for consumption why are you putting it out there if it's not right the thing that gets me about apology videos too and that I this is my line in the sand of like can't stand in apology videos and real life apologies about this kind of stuff as well is crying it's like being a white person crying in the situation is so intentionally even if not conscious manipulation of like I need you to I need to stop feeling bad about what I did and now I need you to feel bad for me and the fastest way I know for you to feel bad for me is crying so they let their tears go they keep crying in the video and it's just absolutely wild because they know it's the fastest way to get their fan base back on their side because the fan base is going to see their tears. They're going to have a visceral reaction of like, oh my God, I don't want to see someone cry. This sucks. And then they're going to get mad at the person who made them cry, which is the person who was hurt in the first place. Yeah. It's all, and it always ends up coming back down on like black and brown people to end up having to get hate for calling out racism because the person they called out cried. Yeah. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, keep your tears to your goddamn self. No one needs to see them. If you were genuinely sorry and this still made you so upset that you would cry, you do that in your own time. You don't yeah. do that in front of the person that you're supposed to be listening to and apologizing to. Yeah, like nobody's like, don't feel emotions. Feel them. Feel them on your own private time. We don't need you to like use your tears to tone police everybody that's calling you out. Like that. The the original horrible uh, apology video is by Laura Lee who should have been lightly canceled, but I go look at her subscriber subscriber account and set 4 million. So again, people need to be critical of what they're watching. You you may shit on me for going on a Reddit and looking up all the shit angry gossiper, hello, and looking up (laughs) people's um, history. But like, that's how I find out all this shit that I would have missed because I wasn't following them five years ago. So don't shit on me anymore. You need to be doing, you need to do the work to appreciate, to make sure the hard-earned money that you are spending on their products and their recommendations is worth it. Okay? That's my final stance. Did we shit on you? No, no. Uh, Probably. (laughs) I definitely definitely shit on you for Lainey Gossip all the time. (laughs) Oh, Lainey Gossip, yes. (laughs) But like, jokingly. I mean, this this is my hobby, (laughs) we'll say. I like to know everything about everything. And we appreciate it. <laughs> but like, that's how I have to in, that's how I can be like, I can't follow that person. They're this X, Y, and Z. One thing, one last thing to talk about to like tie it back to like, can you truly enjoy problematic stuff? There one other comment I want to make from the YouTuber Amanda BB. And one 
video she has particularly about cancel culture and I really appreciate what she was talking about because the last little while I've been struggling with the way people talk about cancel culture I know that a lot of people have decided like I'm not it's not cancel culture cancel culture is bad I believe in holding people accountable culture and like I understand where that's coming from because the core of this all is supposed to be about holding people accountable for what they're doing and if they don't take that accountability they don't get your money they don't get your views they don't get your promotion um, until they actually do that and the fact is most of these people aren't taking accountability and yet they're still getting money they're still getting views nothing about what they're doing is changing their outreach literally at all but they're they're freaking out about cancel culture so much and they're so like it's cancel culture now everything that you say negative about them is saying that it's cancel culture going crazy and I really appreciated what she had to say in her video which was basically like at a certain point the amount of hoops that you jump through to denounce council culture is racism, is a form of racism where you are specifically spending more time on the conversation that it's not that we're trying to cancel them, we don't want to get rid of their livelihood, we don't want to do all of that, we want them to still exist even though they were super racist, we just want them to say they're sorry that they were racist. And it's like, no, you know what? It You can't just say you're sorry you're racist and then go about your life. I at this point, fully believe in cancel culture. If you're going to be racist and you're gonna, not going to take the active steps you need to to fix the harmfulness that you've caused to a community with your racist actions, if you're not going to denounce it, if you're not going to use your platform to raise up other voices instead of your own, um, and if you're not going to be willing to lose a lot of people and a lot of money when that happens, because you built your empire on the backs of those people, then guess what? You canceled. Like, that's your life. Mm-hmm. It's a tough world. Like, consequences on that. You put that shit out into the universe, maybe you need to think about Okay, so like to flow into the next thing, obviously I've been spending a lot of time on Twitter lately. (laughs) And so like literally all I do is I have my work stuff up and then Twitter is open in another window and I have to keep refreshing because first of all, there's a lot going on on Twitter all the time and because of cancel culture specifically and I'm getting in a lot of Twitter arguments which is fine I will I will stand my ground when I'm correct about things and so I got into an argument recently with somebody specifically about JK Rowling (laughs) and I think we all know if like you don't already know JK Rowling uh I think about a year year and a half ago posted something on Twitter about how trans women are not women specifically she was like trans people are people but she was talking more about how trans women don't deserve the same protections as regular women by regular women I mean like what she likes to call what she likes to call natal women um which is because uh people like her which will give you the terminology soon do not like the term cis women I've learned even though it means the same thing as natal women by the way (laughs) so people like her being trans exclusionary radical feminists which I do not think like somebody else said they even deserve the term feminist because they are not but essentially they have built this whole empire where they like or or, well basically why she was called out was because she was liking and agreeing with a lot of TERFs which is a short term for that a lot of their comments about trans women and she felt like she was attacked and therefore she sort of like sank back 
from View on Twitter and then eventually came back and kind of doubled down on it and was like, there's like this, like there's like the, being already a radical feminist, her feminist, I say with air quotes herself, she was coming back and being like, there's this whole like trans agenda that is like super radical that is like trying to attack women, including lesbians. It was this whole tirade that she went on where she's just like, you're also aggressive, blah, blah, blah. And I do agree some people say things that they probably shouldn't say to her. <laughs> or like any human being for that matter. And that's going to come with anything that you put on Twitter. Like you're going to get those people. It's not just going to be towards her. But this whole thing comes down to like this, what, like last month or whatever, she posted something about all the research she's done. So a big essay. Yeah, a big freaking essay. But she doubled down on her commentary about trans women, where she's like, I'm not transphobic, but trans women aren't the same as women. And then she made like this whole like little like thing where she did all this research because specifically she has a foundation where as as a bad like a previously battered woman as she calls herself she wants a safe space for women so she has this foundation where she supports them so she can pay for people to do by the way she's paying for people specifically that she's chosen to do this research let's let's be clear here to do research on trans women and whether they deserve basic deserve basically the same protections as women from either abusive situations or whether they're poor or blah 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 blah. And she talks about how a lot of women that have transitioned regret it, which she knows what one trans woman and likely the reason that she had to transition back, either she couldn't afford the hormone treatment or it's just something, a choice that, and it's like one of those like very, very few times that somebody makes a choice to transition back. And that does not that person is not a monolith for the rest of trans women. So like that already is problematic in itself. And I think one thing, just to quickly jump in there too, of the very few cases of which that exists, um, one of the more common things that's come up, and this is from trans writers that I trust far more on this topic than I do JK Rowling or anyone she's paying to do this research on, is often that they did it in a time where the concept of non-binary and the concept of trying to explain other kinds of genders, which is not something that radically existed. So any type of like back transitioning could have been because the language didn't exist for what they were. So people went trans. So like that's, and that's just a small portion of this very small community in general of which this happens to all of this does not address the fact that however many percent over 95 i'm sure that transition are not just happy but are happy for the first time in their lives because of this mm-hmm. and like like speaking about specifically why i got into this argument on twitter is it's part of this whole tone policing thing slash cancel culture and this whole thing of like how you talk to somebody and how they'll actually learn from you and somebody argued with me that they do not agree with her but that there's a better way to make her learn or improve her her thoughts and i'm like she has the resources available to her first of all way more than the rest of us do second of all if you read the comments, there, a lot of them were very informative, a lot of them for trans women. Some of them were super heartbreaking about how they felt about one of their favorite authors talking about them like they were a debate topic, like their lives were a debate topic. And it was it was heartbreaking to read, but I went through like almost every single one of those comments and I was like, I have to, like, I have to read it. Like at that point, I was just like, I need to know what people are saying. And like, and there's a, there's a thing, like even when she posted the essay where arguably was the, like the most 
in, insane thing that more people could respond to with actual like counter arguments she turned off the comments on that so not only was she saying hey uh this is exactly what i believe she's also saying i am not welcoming any of your your actual thoughts and opinions even from people that this involves this like this whole topic is not about her or her life she thinks like as a woman that she is allowed to say something about trans women but that is not her experience so that she cannot say like she is a woman yes but ironically let's go into why some of her content might be problematic for women even <laughs> let's let's just deep dive into there <laughs> because like if you think about something like harry potter or her books as robert galbraith she says okay she says she's a feminist she says like whatever like women women's rights whatever we know that about her but when you look at her content itself, what it says about women is that she always looks at women from a male gaze. Even her books are written from the perspective of men. And so when you like look at it that way, like how she talks, and obviously there's like a lot of like race stuff as well in there, which I won't fully another get into. <laughs> yeah. It's a totally other topic, but it, it is like, if you're keeping in mind like the intersectionality of that, it is a huge part of it. Like if you think about like how she sees Cho Chang, first of all, you might as well have called her fucking Ling Ling at that point. Like, her name is so offensive. And second of all, what is what is this woman or this girl's personality at all other than how she's viewed by men? She's only seen as somebody that dates men and that's it. That's There's no other personality. Even, like, arguably her most, her most, like, important female character, Hermione Granger, is only really there to support the men in the story. Like, that's all she exists. She's a great, strong character, but even in the, by the end, she's not even credited with being that strong. She's the support for Harry. She's the support for Ron. When you think about Robert Galbraith, those books are so offensive to women. Like, I do not understand how she's allowed to call herself a feminist if you read them. Like, just the way the main character I can't even remember his name, the inspector or whatever. First of all, glorifying police again. Let's I'll <laughs> talk about that a little bit. Already problematic, but also the way he talks about this woman who he's not with, but she works under him and he's in a position of power. So disgusting. Like it is actually so problematic. And like people are like, oh, her content's not like I can enjoy her content even though she's problematic. I'm like, but if you think about how she has spoken in media, how she has spoken openly and doubled down on it, and then you look back at her content now, you can no longer give her the benefit of the doubt. Her content is all problematic. Every single part of it. And like, if we do talk about race, we can talk about how she's added on Native American wizards and called them magical and basically reducing and trivializing their beliefs, their customs, their traditions. We can talk about how like the only black character in her stories isn't even called black first of all in like the UK editions I believe it's only in the the US editions that Dean Thomas is called black um there's nothing there's nothing to indicate like that he is otherwise and when she like doubles down that Hermione is black like that that is more of like it's almost written in like a colorblind view like a point of view which is already as we know the most problematic thing you can do about race because like it essentially says you do not see their experience as people of color and so it's yeah like everything you guys know how i feel about <laughs> everything what are your thoughts well i mean that was like daniel Radcliffe put out a statement being like basically he's like don't how do we, how do I even say it? He was he he wasn't defending J.K. Rowling. He's saying what she said is wrong, which was I think he needed to say that. And he's like, I don't think what she said should ruin your like childhood experience of like enjoying these books. But like I think going forward, you need to realize that she her beliefs aren't correct, and you need to know that. 
And I get how that's important for someone like him who has definitely spent his whole life getting, going to conventions with kids that were like, Harry Potter saved my life. Because she wrote something that has that effect for people. It wasn't just like, oh, it's a popular book series. It was the kind of book series that a lot of kids who were abused or neglected, many of whom would have also been women and trans and people of color because of how often those experiences are in those communities. You know, he would have spent a whole lifetime at conventions with people telling him how those books saved their life. She also would have been dealt with that and chose to completely ignore what that meant and how her words would have such a negative impact on those communities. Because like, again, what is, can't even imagine, like I'm already so hurt with how much Harry Potter was a part of my childhood. And I'm not even someone that would say it saved my life. It was just a big part of who I was and the things that I did as a kid. Um, let alone being someone where like literally you felt seen for the first time you felt you know heard for the first time and then it came from somebody who is doing everything she can now to silence you but it's like why why out of everything she thinks she has a right to make a statement on this like where did this why she does her money make her entitled like I don't understand why this is the hill she wants to die on because she's surrounded by many many publicist i'm sure her editor her agent her i don't know how many other freaking people have and i i understand that they she pays their bills but like that money is gonna go away i hope hello universe listen to me that money is gonna go away when no one's buying her shit but she either they're telling her and she's not listening or she's going full force in the end they know that this is not going to even be a dent you should see the kind of commentary i got based on her new book by the way that's coming out i'm not even gonna say the name fuck it she has a new book coming out (laughs) she has a new children's book coming out i'm gonna go see see how much we're not even gonna touch on the woody allen thing whatever which by the way that book is still being published of course (laughs) um but like her new children's book through Hachette, like the commentary on just that thread alone in response to anybody that's criticizing her is insanity. Like it is just like white people coming out of the fucking woodworks that you did, nobody asked for your opinion, first of all. Second of all, like the fact that they haven't said anything about the controversy, the fact that Hachette hasn't done anything, hasn't realized that like perhaps talking about the book during this controversial time is probably not the right time to do it like they don't they know despite all the controversy nothing is going to affect the sales of this book and it it feels almost similar to like a trend i feel like we've been seeing a lot lately where i don't i to be fair i don't actually think that this is intentional i think that this is what she believes she chose the time to say it because she had no awareness of how this was the worst time ever to talk about this like people are worried about a lot of shit right now and there was a conversation like not that the conversation about how important the trans experience is isn't something that needs to be happening all the time but like we were knee deep in everything going on with the George Floyd protests and the Black Lives Matter movement. And in the middle, it was like, oh, A she's- Pride month, by the way. Pride yeah. month. <laughs> yep. She's also going to throw in this fucking bullshit. So like the timing was wild, but it does feel like there's been a trend lately of these celebrities purposely being wild and out of their mind and saying these super problematic things at the same time something is launching. Yeah, And the Lana Del Rey one is a great example of that insane or, or that wild note that she wrote 
calling out, basically suggesting that she led the way for Beyonce and Nicki Minaj and Doja Cat and all of these women to be who they are. When meanwhile, many of those women have been in music far longer than you have. So I don't know how you think time also, works. Do any of them know who she is? Is my question. <laughs> like, girl, in terms of your relevance here, take a back seat. Well, so like that was all wild stuff but it, that it just it's very convenient that that would line like she did that and the very first time that she announced her new album coming out was in that very problematic note and it's also convenient whether intentional or not that jk rowling or rowling and her team would then also use this time to sing some to drum up a lot of controversy when she's got a new book coming out and like all of these things are at the exploitation of the feelings and the public safety mm-hmm. of of these trans of these trans women and it's like it says something that like the timing if it was on purpose it says something about what kind of respect she has for a black people in general and trans people she has zero respect for them nothing like this is like fresh during like early protesting too that she put this out and i was like this is not the time for this for your normal bullshit Mm -mm. like if any time maybe wait like three months at least like calm down let these people grieve let's not make everything on the internet about you and your yeah why why do people get like why would anyone give a shit about what you have to say clearly and yet hundreds of thousands of people they really do what the fuck i insane a point also worth mentioning is like we keep talking about how like these people have publicists and like they have teams of people many of whom they might even vet tweets they might do all that stuff but i think it's easy to remember that like while we try to do everything we can to be as inclusive as possible and while we try to support the trans community as much as we can this is not the experience of many people so it's very possible that not just because she's terrible so her team is likely also just as terrible it's the fact that seven to a hundred people could have seen this tweet could have seen the study all on her team and also seen nothing wrong with it Mm -hmm. like that's the level we're talking about like you want to say like this should be very obvious you are dehumanizing and really undermining the experience of an entire group of people who do not deserve this kind of treatment like they go through so much already why are you doing this and every single one of those people also could have been people who were just like yeah only cis women are are women that's end of sentence why is this question and like even like when you think about like all the people that have come out and like spoken against what she said being like oh no trans women are definitely women like even stephen king who is definitely problematic (laughs) (laughs) but like think about like even like our favorite canadian book chain indigo like let's call Mm -hmm. them out on this they said that yeah trans women are women we support trans women as women and yet they will not pull her books from their bookshelves we know that's never going to happen we know that there's never going to be a warning that they give hey by the way this person spews hate speech on the regular because that's what it is it is hate speech anybody that's denying that it's hate speech rather than an opinion or whatever doesn't seem to understand what it's like to have words be used to negate your experience as a person to be like, I'm going to dehumanize you with my words. And that, to me, is wild. As a woman, J.K. Rowling, and as a woman, the head of these companies, why do you not understand this? Like, this is something, and part of her argument is like, it's been difficult for me to be a woman. So why do you not understand that it is, in fact, 
more difficult for mm -hmm. trans women because they deal with all of the backlash of being women and all of the societal impact that comes with that in addition to the impact of being trans and how that affects it. And so the community that should be there to support you, which is other women are not because they see you as lesser. And like, that's wild. Like, how do you not get how your own argument about needing a safe space and about being connected to your womanhood is the very same thing that should make you feel for these trans women even more. Like this should not be a debate. This should yeah, just be she, a thing. She even contradicts herself in her friggin' whatever many page essay where she's just like, uh, there's been studies done and trans women are not a danger to other women. In fact, they are probably more in danger but she still says that they do not like they do not deserve the same amount of protection, which is insane to me that she can say those two things within the same paragraph. Like, do you not see how what you're saying is a problem? And then on top of that, like you said, she has this weird obsession with trans men, which is like a thing for her. That and her like two lesbian butch friends, which she keeps saying are butch. <laughs> does she really Ooh. oh yeah the yeah. way she describes them like if i was them i'm like why are you not mad yeah but so, so, her, so insulting her obsession with trans women comes from like uh, like if you read the essay which i'm sure from I what read it a bit. sounded like yeah it, it basically she said it's, if it had been at a different time she might have wanted to transition to become a man which already to me is like do you not then understand why it's so hard for trans women like it's the same thing like well, how can how can someone think you know what they just want to be a woman like do you like i don't know where you would come up with the idea but like they just wanted to and then this makes no space for any intersex people who are born both literally but truly yes. and I, it's just like do you not like i it's, yeah. it confounds me when people cannot expand beyond what that narrow-mindedness is and it killed me so much because so many of the replies and so many of the comments were her fans who never should open their mouths. And there were threads and threads of people who were like, you know, being like, well, then explain to me how gender isn't a binary, but you can't use intersex people as an example. And it's like, but that's the example. Like, it's the very nature of their existence that proves that you're wrong. Or like this one person that was like, we see it in nature all the time. All species have a male and female. And you're like, literally nature has millions of different ways. Like it is yeah. us as people that we use our language to assign male and female to species. Many of them are asexual. There's lots of different things going on in nature that we have no idea what's going on. We only have our language to describe it. So I need you to shut your mouth and stop <laughs> talking. Yeah. And then like, then you... That, first of all, the hashtag I stand with JK Rowling. Oh, don't even look up the hashtag. I hope y'all you'll see. It no, is but you amazing. need to because you need to see who the fuck is supporting her that you should no longer be. That is also true. And but coming from this, we're gonna dive a little bit into it. Let's talk about how people are saying that these people are being canceled for the way they are, but they're not actually canceled because the Harper letter, Harper's Magazine letter, or whatever. Ugh. And let's be clear about one thing too going into this before we even talk about everything with the Harper's letter. At this point, it is physically impossible for anyone in this world to cancel JK Rowling. That woman has too much money for that to be possible. She will always have influence because she will not be able to spend the almost $1 billion that she has earned in her lifetime. So every single company in this world could stop selling 
every J.K. Rowling, every Robert whatever, every single book she's ever done. The theme park could close. The movies could never be streamed again in the world. She could not earn one more cent for the rest of her life, and she would still have more than enough money that her fucking kids and her kids' kids will have voices loud enough that justify the millions of dollars, the hundreds of millions of dollars in their bank account. So the concept that this person in particular could ever be canceled is a fallacy. I don't even think she could cancel herself at this point. Like, like you would have, she would have to give away every single dollar that she had. And like, at that point, the very fact that you were able to do that will continue to get, have you a voice. Like her, the voice of JK Rowling is just not going anywhere. Where's her daughter in this? Her daughter is our age. And I'm like, you're telling me your daughter's like, go ahead, mom. What you're saying is completely wrong. Like your job as a writer is to be empathetic towards other people. How, 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 how have you missed the main hallmark of what you do it for a living? I don't understand. Then this rolls neatly well into the insanity that is the Harp, uh, the wildness that is the Harper's letter. How do we start with this letter? Okay, okay. I can, I can, okay. So basically <laughs> I've been talking about this letter for probably the last week because for some reason, as soon as Harper's Magazine on their Twitter posted it, it's popped up right in my feed as something I might want to read. And probably because of the JK Rowling thing, because the first thing they highlighted was JK Rowling was one of the 153 people that signed it. And I was like, mm, what is this about? Let me just, let me just take a little clickaroo. And I clicked on it. A very, very short, vague letter. And by vague, I mean somewhat vague, but it's clearly making some exam, like making specific references, but still being a little bit vague about which references. Sorry, one thing about that. The only reason it's vague is because they purposely did not use, they did not use names and specific situations because if they wrote out the specific situations, you would see how everything they're talking about is meaningless. So it behooved them to remove that because then it doesn't sound like, oh my God, J.K. Rowling with her hundreds of millions of dollars and her hundreds of millions of followers uh, has four people yelling at her that she's wrong and has a fucking army of minions attacking every single trans person in her comment section, uh, that would make them look bad. So instead, it's like, this author spoke their mind and now people are saying that they were wrong? And is it comfortable for us to be doing that? So like this whole letter is essentially like a letter about how cancel culture threatens intellectual freedom of speech if I could summarize it, which is ironic in and of itself because the 153 people on this letter, and by the way, I looked up every single one of them, even Mm -hmm. the ones that are not on Twitter, have enough of a following to counter anybody that tries to cancel them. Anybody. They have enough people following them and support them that this letter was not even necessary. Like, it absolutely was the most disrespectful thing I have ever seen grace Twitter (laughs) ever and this is including like YA book drama like it is the absolute (laughs) worst thing I've ever seen and like and it makes like it's a very short letter about like whatever freedom thing blah 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 blah. freedom of speech is threatened when you can't and like there's like a mix and they've done like the right mix of conservative versus like liberal people on there because of course everything comes down to politics rather than Mm -hmm. like your right as a human being (laughs) Um, And then they've also got like maybe three black people on there and one trans woman who has, by the way, gone back on signing that letter saying that she did not know who else had signed that letter. So they specifically showed her a specific group of people so that she would sign it because it was vague enough. But the vague examples in this letter (laughs) 
<laughs> refer to very specific situations, many specific situations that are similar, where they rightfully should have been canceled for those things. So there's like, uh, and it basically is like this whole like counter argument to themselves. Like it's the stupid, it like negates anything they're talking about. Like for example, there's one example where they talk about how an editor, vaguely they say an editor was fired, <laughs> but what they're, or was forced to retire. But what they're referring to is James Bennett, an editor for the New York Times, posted an op-ed or allowed an op-ed to be posted by a very well-known conservative called Tom Cotton, which basically promotes and like encourages militarization and violence against peaceful protesters. And the reason he was forced to like quit was because he didn't even read the op-ed before he let it get posted. He didn't do his job as an what editor. <laughs> and it's also worth mentioning in those situations, the editors who were fired that are being referred to, there was also like staff upheaval where like yeah. staff walked out and they wanted that so you're basically saying like how dare we cancel people for creating a hostile work environment for their employees yeah so what they're basically saying is why don't we give these people a second chance rather than just hire somebody that's unproblematic from the from the get-go like this is this is what it says to me what was that tweet i think it was from um because bon appetit fits in here all very well oh i think it was from uh hunzi that was like it it was a tweet that was basically like the inner thoughts of Condé nast it was like hmm why don't we just teach people you know give people anti-racist training instead of just hiring people who are anti-racist from the beginning yeah yeah and like that's what this all is like you could just hide like you could these people could lose their jobs and you could hire people of color instead you could hire trans people instead and maybe they'd actually start putting out good content some of which your platforms have not had in years Mm -hmm. and so like a lot of the people that sign this letter are problematic like almost like 90 percent of them are problematic people like there's somebody on there that's like trans exclusionary actually i think there's like three to four of them other than jk rowling which is insane to begin with because what are it, it there was another counter letter that was basically written it was very well done much longer much more nuanced by the way it is worth every single word that you read where it talks about how this letter does not exist in the silo like you can't just put this letter out and assume people are going to be like oh this is a really vague letter that and like this is what the defense is for most of the people that signed. Even Malcolm Gladwell was just like, oh, I thought I just signed a vague letter about freedom of speech. No, you idiot. Of course, how could all these smart ass people think that we wouldn't notice? It's like signing a contract without reading it. Like, yeah. Who, no. You're grown ass adults. But these people know. They, like, 100%. Who, whose idea, do we know whose idea this It was, thing, um, it was, I think the editor of the New York Times, I believe he's the one oh. that penned it, and then he got other yes. people to sign it. But he cleverly, not so cleverly, like, for some people that they wanted for, like, the diversity quota, I guess, that they were trying to reach on this thing, definitely hid some of the names on that letter. Or, like, had those people sign last whatever like jk rowling or margaret atwood's on there malcolm gladwell who we've recently learned is so problematic and probably the worst person on that list i did not realize i you can't trust men yeah it's true to be clear about that and no point should we ever be at no point should anyone ever be surprised when a man is disappointing and like or a white person there's so many people on that list that i was just like 
why would you there's even this activist who i followed because she's one of the co-founders of um ex-muslims of north america so like i was already part of that group because somebody recruited me into it and it's a very like private exclusive whatever i, um, I hate everything that you oh, just said <laughs> just fyi that's going in the episode as that's, will be this part that's fine i let you know that everything about that string of words was horrible it's private and exclusive to protect people's identities because they are threatened by violence and like honor killings basically is what happens to some of these people because some of them actually still live in the countries that they're from all right well the way that you started describing that was a little bit different but anyway so like it's a very like private like exclusive group because they have to vet a lot of the people that are in there because there have been like threats of people like outing other people to like their community anyway so this woman that's like a co-founder of it i found that she had signed it too and she was like defending the whole thing and i'm sitting here i'm like you're sitting here as a co-founder of a com like of a com not a company like a not-for-profit that's supposed to be protecting the same people that this letter is against essentially <laughs> like it's it's insane that they're like oh this is about freedom of speech and yet you are denied it's only the letter basically says it's freedom of speech but only for us it's freedom of speech but only if you matter and what they're and saying is the rest of you do not matter but we do and what's interesting about that with people who we perceive to be unproblematic or arguably have like dedicated parts of their lives to doing what this isn't. And that's where I think the concept of, again, like cancel culture comes in. And one thing that is very obvious to notice is that when this stuff comes up and it's often very left thinking and it's often very much in support of disenfranchised and minority groups, um, there's always a backlash against it. And it's somehow always around the concept of language. And I think that's because a lot of people who are in the group that care about these things, that care about being inclusive, also care about language in a way that other people who don't care about these things don't. So we're all distracted and we're all having a conversation about, guys, it's not cancel culture. Cancel culture was the wrong thing to call. Let's not call it that. It's accountability culture. It's take count. And like, we're so busy having that conversation and that debate that the thing that we're not having and the thing that we're letting bypass is the actual canceling and the actual holding people accountable of yeah. like, you know, it's probably very easy to get somebody who should it be against this letter to be in it if you just frame it in the right way of but don't you not support cancel culture because you don't want these people to face because again there's a couple of people always that send death threats and that send heinous things especially if the people that are speaking out in the first place are women or are people of color who can also have very problematic opinions that also are in deserving of being canceled so like it becomes very easy and i find that always ends up happening when you're on the side of a cancel culture or something like that it's just so easy for someone else to change the narrative of what we're discussing so we spend you know we spend time saying you, we're, we're saying like you need to stop saying all lives matter because they bring up all lives matter to stop the conversation about black lives matter yeah. and it just hits a certain point where it's like when do we just stop talking about it altogether and we just every time you say all lives matter shut up don't talk yeah. we're not like, getting into this you, argument if you really thought all lives matter then you would be worrying more about the lives that are actively being destroyed yeah. if you really believed freedom of speech mattered you would actively be trying to look into why people feel like you are silencing them or you are discussing them in a way that is hateful and like this does not by the way this does not exclude non-white people because there are a lot of brown people on that list and i feel responsible partially i shouldn't because they're not like me but like it's 
it's this whole thing like even with like brown people they're still problematic because you when you benefit from like white supremacy or when you benefit from um a patriarchal society like you're not going to actively try to like counter it if you're benefiting from it right so like it's non-white people as well by the way and I, like I also say too like I bring up the conversation of language but like I'm also equally guilty of this like I'm just as willing to sit here and have this conversation and think about the use of the word turf and like internally debate it and spend time looking it up because you know there is the conversation of should we not call them feminists because arguably by the tenets of feminism you excluding women is being not feminist or as feminists who are cis do we have to acknowledge that this is feminism and we need to come fucking collect our people and say you know what this is a type of feminism that is wrong and incorrect and this is a problem that is in our community the same way that many feminist communities are are guilty of only white feminism Mm-hmm. And um, and it's always just so frustrating because what it always ends up coming down to is like the people that you're getting in the way of are people who always lift you up while they try to lift themselves up. Like any any benefit for trans women that uh, helps them, that changes the concept of how people think about gender, that challenges a gender binary, everything that helps a trans woman helps us as cis women. Everything that helps Black women also help us as white women. But it's so easy to act like it doesn't. And it's so easy to forget that it does. And then when we go and we go to do stuff, the people that we have are JK Rowling lifting up only white women and literally no one else. And it's like, it's wild because if you just got out of the way of women who are actually doing the work and who are Mm -hmm. smarter than you and who know what they're doing and who despite everything who should not be bringing you with them at this point who do not need to carry the weight of your legacy on their back do so and also (laughs) i believe this is also on twitter some it was either somebody prominent or it was jk rowling that said i paved the way for female writers that is untrue did she say yeah she did true jk rowling remember how we are all referring to you as jk and not joanne because you specifically Mm -hmm. used your initials so people thought you were a man your yeah. other pen name is Robert. So what you the fuck not, are you talking yeah. about? She did not pave the way for female writers. Let's think about Octavia Butler, for example, mm-hmm. who paved the way for sci-fi fantasy. Right, like that is the ultimate. There's so many other people, so many better female writers out there. She's Going up back, her own ass. your genre is created by Mary Shelley, not you. Exactly, and just like there's so many. And again, so many it's such a frustrating sentence particularly because like, and this always comes back to it because you know I love me some N.K. Jemisin. (laughs) We literally have authors right now who are changing, who took the, who have the strength and the talent and the ability to take the genre that she's playing in as well and reform it to fit what they need and to change it and to make it so much better and to challenge it. Mm -hmm. How is that? That is paving the way for people. You just fit into all of the things about your genre that existed. Harry Potter is great, but there's nothing about it that is so drastically different than other YA books that you somehow did something that changed the genre forever. You just made it, po- like all she really did was show, look at how big this thing could be. And that like, was really it. She really just took parts that already existed in fiction and just like reapplied them to her. Let's be honest yeah. here. There were other authors before her that did the same thing that just didn't get the same reach yeah. as she did. And like arguably better than her again. So she did not pave the way for... Who did she pave the way for that benefited from her 
at all existing. Like l- let's let's think about somebody specifically directly that benefited from her existing. I, there can is- you recall anyone she was like, this is a good book? No. Because <laughs> I can't. And I'm tr- trying to sit here, but like, has she recommended anything? No. I can't even think of a single blurb she's done. Like I've seen, okay, like, I've seen Neil Gaiman do a lot of blurbs, but he's like, a, he'll blurb anything. Yeah. <laughs> but that's where it is. Like you have someone like J.K. Rowling over there telling you that she paved the way and doing all of this shit. But then let's look at some actual trans women and let's look at the fact that when one of them gets lifted up, they always bring people with them. Yeah, Janet Mock is not Janet Mock on her own. No. Janet Mock goes out of her way to raise the voices of other trans women and other women, women of color. Like it goes back to the idea, like these women are always bringing up all women with them and, and seeing like, like people of color, but you do nothing. And JK Rowling is like praised for doing stuff for women, but it's like, but you're not, you're doing stuff for a specific group of women mm-hmm. and that is yeah. all. It might hurt you to know that all of the money that you've donated to shelters does mean less if those shelters are trans-exclusionary. The same way that all of the Salvation, everything the Salvation Army does actively means less because they do not accept gay people and they do not accept trans people. I refuse to donate them. I don't care the good that they do. Because Mm -hmm. if the good you do doesn't include everybody that needs it, then what's the point? There is no point. And also, not to get like really, this is going to be like a huge downer. But uh, <laughs> did you guys watch? Did you guys watch the the trans um, documentary on Netflix? Disclosure. Disclosure. Not yes. So I'm not I'm not going to like fully spoil it here because we could totally have a different conversation about this. But there's a point that somebody makes in there. Uh, one of the trans women makes that when trans people are talked about more in media or seen more in media you often see more violence against them in public and i just want to say ever since jk rowling has brought up this topic there's been what five to six trans women that have been murdered recently Mm -hmm. way more than usual and it's it's i mean it's always a high number to begin with but i would argue because trans people are in the spotlight right now because of her controversy and her controversial opinions on their lives this is directly related to that these people never want to acknowledge that like you know you're just a different type of a donald trump character yeah that's exactly it Mm -hmm. the things you say have meaning and they reverberate with a very specific kind of person and it's not surprising that those people are violent yeah and like when i looked the first time i looked at that letter the first thought i had was you might as well have signed this with donald trump like you might as well have signed this with mike pence you might as well have signed this with anybody because they could sign a vague letter like that too and it totally be true for them or whatever like you are not different from those people if that's what you think if you're not willing to draw the line here you're not willing to draw the line anywhere else as long as it benefits you. So to say all of that now, you know, we've talked about two options that are very obvious, at least to us, that, that seem really clear. And there are a couple of other examples. And we won't take too much time because I think this episode is already getting too long as it <laughs> is. If there's one thing I want to close out on, you know, this all started off with the conversation of, and we didn't even really address that in the second part, um, can you enjoy problematic content? And I think we've talked about two examples where the level of problematic and what they're dealing with is very difficult. Uh, they are actively hurtful and there's actually not a lot of, at this stage and time, not a lot of benefit being gained from this content anymore. But I wanted to close it out and talk a little bit about Hamilton. 
this one is one that I want to talk about because it's like very close to me. It's very near and dear. I love Hamilton. I think it's absolutely excellent. I found out about it when it like hit Broadway. I ended up going to New York. I got to see the original cast. Like I am, everything about that experience was a lot for me. And it's also, there's lots of reasons. I think that everything going around with Hamilton right now is very interesting because I do think there's a very personal element with theater that's actually probably more similar to YouTube than it is to even books and movies and TV where because you're sitting there, the way you feel in a theater, like I will say for me, and I, I know this is like a very pretentious sentence and it, I hate myself for it. Theater is my favorite thing above all other media because that feeling for me cannot be replicated by anything else. I never feel in watching a movie or reading a book the way I do sitting in a play. And theater ha- theater is so white. It's so white. It is another one of many, many industries that has not modernized. There are like five big, I, I, five is probably generous. It could be even three big Broadway plays that go on tour regularly that are constantly getting revivals that don't center exclusively around white people. And they are all, it's like the King and I, it's the Lion King, it's the color purple. It's just stuff that is steeped in a very racial tone. Like most people are not ever just going to watch, excuse me, come from away, um, which, you know, in its own sense, you got to consider Dear Evan Hansen, um, all of those things with a largely or almost exclusively black cast. And so when Hamilton came on, not only did I love it because it blended two genres that I love of like hip hop and rap with show tunes, which like at this point I have to acknowledge that my Spotify is literally just musical soundtracks and movie soundtracks. Yeah, it's brutal. And Steph watches what I listen to all the time and it's horrid. I but like, what I love listens them. To. Listen, I love them. I can't help. I, I just, I love a song that tells a story and none of them do that as well, often as True. a musical. So I'm a huge fan of Hamilton and it was so, it was just so exciting to see a live stage play where there were so few white people in sight. They were negligible that even though it was telling a story that was about white people and that was a version of white people, it wasn't. And that in terms of the theater world, and I think a lot of us have seen this, and maybe if you're not super involved with theater, you might not realize the effect that that had on everything. Things that can get made now because Hamilton was made is massive. Like, even though it's still going to be an uphill battle for anyone trying to put on a play that has a primarily Black or Brown or Asian cast that isn't specifically Miss Saigon or some bullshit, you know, it's still going to be an uphill battle. But Hamilton proved the w- to scale to which people would flock to a story with people that didn't look like them. So that is so important. And I think it's really important that that did that. And that, you know, Linnell Miranda has always had a commitment to doing that. It's similar to In the Heights. And I can even admit when this all started, I have issues with Hamilton. There are things about it that I find problematic. But admittedly, through my lens, I was looking at the his treatment of women because I had heard some articles about like there the, one of the songs that's in Hamilton that introduces the female characters wasn't actually going to be in it. And someone else recommended like, hey, the Schuyler sisters, their intro song, you know, we should see these people before their first song at the time, which was just when they meet Hamilton and when two of the three sisters fall in love with him. So it was this element of like, you can't just introduce these female characters at that point. You need to introduce them earlier on so they can have their own personality. That is a problem with Hamilton. The way it portrays women is not necessarily the best. I have relatively similar issues with In the Heights, but so much of what Hamilton does is good that I'm not super pressed. 
I think that Lin-Manuel Miranda is a very good writer. I think he's someone that listens to feedback. I believe and anticipate that every next thing that he does will continue to grow and improve and be better. But then a couple of years ago, there was an article about, and I want to get his name correct, and I think it's Ishmael Reed um, that created his own, he created his own sort of answer play to Hamilton called The Haunting of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And it started off as like a very, very like off, 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 like it's, it was basically in like the second floor of like a building play that was talking about and addressing the fact that what ended up being- Morrison's home, by the way. Toni Morrison hosted. Yes. She did eventually host uh, this play at that house that was talking about one of the problematic elements of Hamilton is that you have Black people playing slave owners- and essentially glorifying them and portraying them in a positive light. The way, and like, he made a lot of comments about like, now imagine if someone were to make a movie where a Jewish person was portraying the like Nazi soldiers, but they were portraying them as just like regular people, just like good guys that were actually trying to fight for the, for the Jews to not be in concentration camps, but never actually doing anything about them. And, you know, he, he goes through all of these things about the intricacies of it's not just like, okay, great, you made, a movie, you made a show where you cast these people, but what is the content of this? Why are you talking about these white racist people at all who were slave owners, who were murderers because of that, who were rapists because of that? Like, if you were a slave owner, you were also very likely a rapist because you probably raped your slave. Like, those are just things that would have happened. And they, those people are all very much the cornerstone of this play and in particular Alexander Hamilton is not even known for being an abolitionist. That is a a narrative that is created in the musical based on a few vague things. Technically he was never outward and clear about the what he believed but like if you're not an abol- if you don't actively say you're an abolitionist and you're against slavery during this time then you're probably for it. Like and the fact that he owned enslaved people and his like his wife, his wife, his wife's yeah, family, his did, wife's yeah. family, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas when Alexander Hamilton was younger, he worked at because he was from and I forget which island now, um, but because he was from a small island off the coast, he actually worked for the slave trade and was like a bookkeeper essentially due to the things that happened in his life. You know, there's a lot there and there's definitely a lot to unpack with what all of that means. And these are problematic things that need to be addressed. But unlike, or not even unlike, but to a certain extent, J.K. Rowling, Jeffree Star, these are people that we have been aware of as being problematic for a really, really long time. And these are people that are not directly impacting and uplifting the same communities that they are being essentially accused of hurting. What's interesting about Hamilton is that while all of these things about how what his show has paved a way for a new generation of black and people of color actors to be taken seriously and to have good full honest leading roles in um this industry and has like started a conversation about that that no other play has really moved like this one has it's also equally true that what has a little bit been erased is the problematic elements of people like alexander hamilton like aaron burr Um, like George Washington in particular, and all the negative things that they did. Why I thought this was an interesting thing to talk about is like, one, it really highlights that two statements can be true at the same time, even if they seem opposite. It can be true that he did all those good things. And it can also be true that realistically, no one realized, like, or at least 
not someone very public or someone very open was really talking about like during the making of this isn't this bad like isn't this problematic to be doing and shouldn't we address that somehow Mm -hmm. and none of that has been addressed for the five seven years it's been since this initially since Hamilton initially came out and And this like like, big on the scene the haunting play only really made it to an actual stage January of this year yeah and it's been out for a couple of years now so like these are all new things that are happening so those can both be true but I also want to talk about this was again from that fanish perspective a few days ago um someone I love her name is her her twitter handle is always what I think of her as brokey mcpoverty because (laughs) she was I love it and she was one of the hosts of another round uh it's Tracy Clayton and she's just one of my I, I love that podcast I love everything about her she put together a really interesting and a really nuanced view of like, listen, I love Hamilton, but that just because I love Hamilton doesn't mean that it's not also bad and doesn't mean that it's not also problematic. And I feel like something needs to happen, something needs to be answered to. And Lynn Manuel Miranda actually responded to this tweet. And this is the first time that I'm aware of that he's ever replied to any of the problematic accusations around Hamilton whatsoever. And he would say, do what I would describe as the bare minimum for being a decent person, where the response was decent, but maybe it wasn't the level it could have been, where he acknowledged these are completely valid criticisms, that now that the content exists and is out in the world, all of criticisms against it are valid and are fair game, like have at it, like rip it apart, like do what you need to, which was the underlying thing. That's not what he said. He just said it's fair game. And, you know, he also was like, I did my best. Like, you know, I wrote what I wrote, it was hard to get all of that nuance into a play. So I did my best and this is what we got. But the important parts of that were, there is valid criticism here. There are things that I overlooked and it's fair game to criticize it. Those are the two important ones. The piece in the middle, you know, maybe it would have been better to say, perhaps we should change the playbills for all Hamilton going forward to acknowledge the life of Alexander Hamilton a little bit more. Because what this really did was like, at one point Alexander Hamilton was gonna be taken off the $10 bill. And because of the way Hamilton had portrayed Alexander Hamilton, there was a protest. Like, there were petitions. They were like, don't take off Alexander Hamilton. He was the only founding father, with quotation marks, that was an abolitionist. He created our our banking system. How dare you? And it's like, he was also not that great. Like, they all Mm -hmm. need to be taken off the money, not just him. Yeah, like, Um, they romanticize this person who doesn't actually technically have existed. They romanticized, basically, Lin-Manuel Miranda. And, like, he did take responsibility for the content that he created, but he didn't take responsibility for that, that fan base, that response, that, like, how... Hamilton is now perceived as basically him and if you look at like any sort of like content that came after like Hamilton's like crazy thing it's like there's even books that came out that benefited from this specifically romanticizing Hamilton kids books I saw kids books out there and I was just like why like if you think and like from my perspective anyway the first time I watched Hamilton was literally when it was put on Disney Plus because yeah I listened to like the songs and everything but I didn't have access to it I was going to see it we were going to go see (laughs) it free (laughs) we were supposed Uh. to see it during the pandemic but guess what pandemic happened (laughs) and like I so looking at it from like and I hadn't read any criticisms of Hamilton at this Mm -hmm. point by the way I went in and while I did very much enjoy it and I could probably watch it again there were times where I was like, 
you really gonna do that? Like, there were, like, choices that were made of how they portrayed George Washington. Thomas Jefferson, David Diggs, I love the man, and the whole, there was a tweet that, like, encapsulated exactly what I felt. She's like, I really hate that this man who is a rapist, like, serial rapist, essentially, and, like, slave owner, could really I think the words that she said was like his beat is unstoppable like I just like she's just like I'm so mad about it because like I love him but I'm like I also hate you that's what I Thomas, th- I thought that too Thomas Edison like a black man is playing a man who owns slaves like that to me stuck out I'm like what's happening and then and now that I later learned that, okay, it wasn't just me and this had been talking about, I was like, okay. Yeah. And so like while I was watching, I felt like all these like complicated feelings because I was just yeah. <laughs> like all of this bothers me, but it's so like the content was so good. And this is where we're looking at it with a critical eye. I don't think there was a problem for us to feel weird about it, but still enjoy it. Like, isn't that yeah. the point like, that we're thinking these things and we yes. are like, yeah. that those are coming up in demand. I'm like, I think it's like, it's, what was Lin-Manuel Miranda's intent? To glorify these people? I'm not sure. I, and I don't like, think he meant to glorify Hamilton. That's the thing. Yeah, Definitely and I think, not to the extent that they have been. Yes. And I just think it was so popular that, I mean, obviously you can't control what everyone's going to say. So like people love this musical. They're going to love the main character. Quotes. Quotes. Yeah. So, but like, did, does it, cause you can, there's history books that you can read about all these shitty people, but like, do these actors have a chance at like, getting other jobs probably not as what am i trying to say this is gonna get too complicated are you suggesting that like even if the actors did have an issue with this it's not like they could go and do something else because i think like the benefit like yeah like the benefit of this play for them outweighs them portraying shitty people because like they're gonna have so many more chances and and they need that and like you can pick up a history book and be like okay yeah and maybe they didn't see the harm that would have happened like pre like and that's totally fair but this is where it comes in where Lin-Manuel Miranda who is responsible for this play essentially his name is basically this play yeah 100% this is this is where he should be stepping up and being like I am responsible for the like the response and the glorification of these horrible people in history do not glorify them enjoy the play that's fine but remember all these people were terrible and that's where the fanish culture comes in to an insane amount because i do i was i've never been part of the fandom for this because even i struggle with understanding fandom for theater like i love theater but i'm like y'all stop it this is too much make them uh, relax you just need to calm down a smidge but i get it it's a room full of theater kids essentially um it's just like so intense where they're like they're headcanning them they're headcanning them as like I'm gonna write a fan fiction with their relationship I'm gonna you know write fan fiction about them in a coffee shop I'm gonna draw this art that like woobifies Thomas Jefferson and like it's just all of this like you really lost the plot of this is a piece of fiction and this is not what the person was like but you fell too hard into it even for Eliza like because again she's portrayed by Philip Sue who is amazing and that's one thing too every this movie is or this play is also made because literally every single actor 
absolutely fucking amazing because mm-hmm. you were able to get the best actors for this because these were roles that don't really exist for them before. So like, mm-hmm. they were able to become a household name. Like I am so happy people know who, I'm happy I know who David Diggs is. Now that I know, I've seen so much of his stuff. I've downloaded all of his albums. I'm so into his weird clipping music, which is like very experimental, but very interesting and very story related. And like, I wouldn't know about him if Hamilton didn't exist. He just wasn't in things that were large enough for me to have him in my frame of reference. And, you know, Hamilton does that, but also like, come collect your fans. In the fact that in the same thread where he's saying, your criticisms are valid and this is fair game, that there are people that are like, you have nothing to apologize for. I don't get why people are mad. I liked it. I never saw anything wrong with it. Listen, Louisa from Tennessee, I'm glad that you never considered once in your life that this could be a problematic play. But when Black people are telling you, hey, something about this rubs me the wrong way, fucking listen. This comes back to like toxic, we're going to call it toxic fan culture is what we're going to call it. Because that's what it is. Because this is everything that we've talked about today has been toxic fan culture is supporting these people and keeping them uncancelable. And not that we need to cancel Lin-Manuel Miranda, obviously. But But there's even something to that, like as a person who supports cancel, canceling, canceling is just to say like, be better next time. Yeah. Well, and he will. Like, I, he's someone that clearly will get better next time. But putting that pressure to say, how are you going to make it so that we don't cancel Hamilton? And making them make real changes to even the musical. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing about theater. It's a living, breathing thing. Yeah. Make a movie, it's out that way forever. You can't make changes. You can change theater. They could change something in the show right now. So that when all of them came back on tour, mm-hmm. there was something that acknowledged what was going on in it like you can cancel like, hamilton a little cats bit has that. changed over years <laughs> we know that yes cats is worst example years. ever but i have lots of feelings about cats as a theater <laughs> fan and we won't go into it because this is about things that are problematic not things that are dog shit i have the word i am not a good person in my love of theater like let's be clear i mean again it's what was his intent with rap why did he pick rap as the medium for this mess to be fair i also very like i think that is very intentional in that he picked like people of color to portray it in that musical medium of like bringing that culture in like telling a story of america off of people who built it even though still even though let's be clear it also still does not consider the fact that like there are native american people that were already here like it glorifies the founding fathers even in the way where it's like the whole time this is happening, all of these people are guilty of essentially genocide Mm -hmm. uh, because they have displaced all of the Native people that were here. So, like, that's also something that's not considered. But I do think also I would say for rap is that it's his musical language. Like, if you listen to In the Heights as well, like, that is very much his style. He did some of the music for the Bring It On musical. And I actually find, I think you can feel when it's his music because even if it's not rap or if it's not hip-hop there is a cadence and a beat and an interest to the way that he writes things that I think you can almost pinpoint like a Lin-Manuel Miranda song Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense and I mean like if we think about it he's really unlike JK Rowling he has paved the way for certain types of musicals in Broadway basically also it makes it harder for white people to play those roles in the future. So that's Excellent. also beneficial. Where I think we've landed on 
to the question, is it possible to enjoy problematic content? And I think we all agree the answer ultimately is yes, but understand the problematic nature of it. Do the research, do the work, look into why you like this and then see. Within reason, within reason you can enjoy it. Because as we pointed out, there is no point in you loving Harry Potter anymore. And there is a certain point where you have to like, what are your own boundaries? What are the things you're willing to put up with where you don't enjoy them anymore? And then maybe take a look at those boundaries and Mm -hmm. acknowledge if they say something about you. And see, like, because if you're willing to put up with what's going on with JK Rowling right now, you need to adjust your boundaries, my friend. Do you want to be somebody that is seen as a safe person, a person that can provide a safe space for all people and make, like, and basically essentially say that, like, all people deserve their rights? If that is not something that you agree with, then maybe you do support these people. But if you do agree with that, then question why you can't let it go. Like, why can't you let go of certain creators? Why can't you let go of certain content? Like, is it that freaking good? Question your loyalty. Where is this loyalty coming from? Is it because you see yourself in them? Maybe you need to check that. Does this person deserve your loyalty? Do they deserve your money? Do they deserve your follows? Do they deserve your retweets? Think about it. Be more conscious of your work, your your words, your activities. And there's one thing here as well, too, when it comes down to it. Except for something like Hamilton, because theater is also very limiting, very elitist, like it's very hard to find alternatives to theater. But for everything else, there are other people who are better that also wrote kids books, Mm -hmm. that also have YouTube channels. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you are not missing out if you follow one of them instead of one of these people. Honestly, they deserve your money. And when you buy a product that they recommend, you can trust that. And you know, you know what? They probably didn't get paid X, Y, Z to tell me to buy it. Be smart. You, I'm very passionate about where you spend <laughs> yeah. your money. And also, also, don't put people in the public eye on a pedestal ever, no matter what. Yeah. You should be taking everything they say with a grain of salt. These people are not like, they're not going to dictate how life is or how life should be or how people should be living. Do not trust them. And like, if, you, if you're watching something and your like, gut feeling is like, there's something off about this person, there probably is a good reason why. And also to that, creators and their work are not your friends. They are not your family. You have no loyalty to these people. You don't know anything about them. They show you one version of themselves and the work they create tells one story and one story only. You do not need to spend your whole life defending that stuff. Like there is, again, there's just so much better out there. And you know what? If you do feel like you have trusted a creator and it happens because implicitly there's this thing that happens when you like their content, you think that you can trust them. And I've talked about this before, but even if you feel like they have gone back on something that you believe or they can no longer be trusted that is fine you are allowed to change your mind about that person you do not have to die for that person at all there's an unsubscribe button for a reason that's true. unfollow that's our episode i'm we gonna throw just, away our shot i'm just gonna quote you. hamilton to the end <laughs> i mean for everyone here we basically recorded for the length of the hamilton play because we started at 9 it is now 11 30 p.m uh we started recording our day at 2 p.m so we've got lots of episodes to come out we are throwing out content out here uh that no one wants uh <laughs> but you all deserve what you all deserve and hopefully but again, you'll listen to you can unsubscribe from us at any time i won't be offended because you 
maybe we're not for you at this maybe point you want to cancel point, us and that's don't listen <laughs> yeah don't listen okay. yeah don't, it was nice knowing you uh great to see you i will never want you to listen to anything we ever put out ever again final thoughts trans women are women jeffrey star is a racist shane dawson is a pedophile defund the police defund the police all cops are bastards Lin-Man Muenda, don't know what your intent was you didn't throw away your shot you can do better and also bon appetit get it to fucking gather actually Condé Nast in general actually all publishers in general just get rid of all of these white people in positions of power stop it we don't want to hear from you anymore get on a breathing tube and be done with it that went dark also <laughs> if you're not over it you're not wearing a mask go fuck yourself yeah you know what there's so many things to be mad at right now (laughs) literally i had to change my description on both twitter and instagram to ask me what i'm mad about because it is literally a constant stream of anger i like i can't tear myself away from social media but i also can't stand being on it right now because i'm just making myself angrier constructive anger that's what this is we're taking it on here we're doing some constructive criticisms and we're just telling people like it is since a new controversy is coming out every three days we'll be back probably doing problematic number two it just keeps we call it problematic the movie there is so much to talk about just in the world thank you guys so much for listening i'm sorry if you're just as mad as we are that this is how we made you feel but we really wanted to get this off our chest we had a lot of thoughts about it clearly we really want to talk about it but we appreciate you guys uh, sticking around to listen to us. Uh, if you have any thoughts on this whatsoever, if you have any takes, if you have anyone that you think that we didn't talk about that we should, uh, hit us up on our Twitter and our Instagram. Like, please let, let us know because we want to talk about this stuff and we want to talk about it with you guys because at the end of the day, we only have our perspective and our perspective is still limited in that we are all cis, that two of us are queer and two of us are white. So there's definitely stuff that we are missing. So anything that you guys want to add, Um, let us know. But thank you so much for listening. And before we sign off, remember, history has its eyes on you. Bye. Bye. Who makes us all so unique? We all have different reasons to be canceled. (laughs)